0: WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: In essence, what Paul is telling Timothy is this if you covet, you will ruin your soul. No matter what it is, no matter what you're coveting, you will ruin your soul. This is what happens to those who covet possessions, and this is what happened to the rich fool in our Lord's parable. He lived only for today, took no thought about eternity. And the ironic thing is that those who do live for today and do covet and do want only an abundance of things, they're never satisfied. Never satisfied. You can have enough.
2: Many years ago, someone asked racing legend Mickey Thompson how much horsepower he wanted in a car. Thompson replied that too much horsepower is almost enough. It seems that whatever we love, we cannot get enough of it. I love pizza, and when my wife makes it, I find it nearly impossible to stop eating it until it's all gone. Too much of whatever we love is not quite enough. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is teaching from the Ten Commandments, And today we are in the middle of a study on the 10th commandment. If you're able to follow in your own Bible, please open it to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And let's get started. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: You've ever been dissatisfied with your living accommodations and wish that you could live in a home like more affluent people do, then you've broken this commandment. That's precisely what Scripture condemns. You see... And and quite frankly, it's a problem we all face. Why? Because not only our hearts are wicked and we naturally gravitate to this. No one has to teach you this. But because you and I live in America, it means that you are constantly bombarded with all kinds of temptations to covet. Ours is a culture that breeds discontent by constantly telling us that happiness comes by possessing what you don't presently have. But if you only had the things those smiling people on those television ads tell you you need, then you'd be happy. Why? Because they're happy. Don't you want to be like them? They've got it together. And they're telling you that the product they're selling is the one that'll really make you happy. You need it. Folks, that's our culture. And it's everywhere. It permeates everything that you that you see in our culture. doesn't matter what you have. If you have yesterday's model of toothpaste, you need the one that has more fluoride in it. Soap, you need a bigger soap. You need something better. If you had last year's model car, you need this year's model. Or wait a minute, you'll need next year's model. It's better still. I mean, that's the way our society is, and we get sucked into that. You just can't watch television ads without being tempted to covet, because that's the message. That's the message. You need this new and improved product. You'd be happy if you had that. In regards to the fact that you you and I have more things than we need, we live in the most affluent society ever. We are wealthier than 97% of the people. People in this room here are wealthier than 97% of the people in the world. We don't need anything else. And yet we want, and we want, and we want, and that's the American spirit. And Jesus, Jesus condemned this covetous spirit that characterizes our society, the spirit that is not satisfied with what it has. It has to have more and more and more. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus will use what he has to say, and actually he will use this to, to lead into a parable that illustrates covetousness. But here's how it came about. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. It's always about the will, isn't it? It's always about the will. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, there was a man in the crowd who called out, and asked Jesus to, to deal with this. Have, have my brother give me more. He got more of the inheritance. So we take it that this this man's brother, by the fact that he got a double portion of the inheritance, or he got more than his brother, would seem to indicate that he, that, that the, the brother was the firstborn son. And therefore, under Jewish law, he was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. And this his brother didn't like it. And he wanted Jesus to take care of this. Now, now you may say, well, it's not fair that he got more, but but that's what the law said. But Jesus, interestingly enough, refused to get involved in this family quarrel. He didn't do that. Why? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus did not come in his ministry the first time to arbitrate petty domestic quarrels. That, that was not his ministry. That was a matter for the civil authorities to resolve. Eventually. During the, when he comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom, he will rule over every little issue. He'll act as judge. He will be judge over all human affairs. But that wasn't his role in his first coming. And so he said, who made me a ruler, a judge over you? I, I'm not getting involved in your family matters. But the second reason that he refused to get involved was because he knew that this man's interest in wanting some of his brother's inheritance was motivated by covetousness. That's why he said in in verse 15, that's the point. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. He understood that this man wanted more of the inheritance out of greed. That's what motivated him. And then Jesus warns us about guarding our own hearts, every form of greed. And he goes on to give us a parable that illustrates how sinister the sin of coveting really is. The second part of verse 15. He said, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Not even when you have a lot of things will your life be what you want it to be. It will not make you happy. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place uh, to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grains and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Very, very interesting. Jesus first said that um, coveting is not really related. He said in verse 15, let me read that again, the second part, when he said, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he gave a story about a man who who had more than he needed, more than he needed. It's very important that we understand this. Coveting is not restricted to those who have nothing and want something. It's for all of us who have far more than we need, an abundance of possessions, and yet we're still not satisfied. And isn't it interesting that you often see families today destroyed over an inheritance, destroyed over money because somebody or maybe a few people in the will want more than others. And so often the one who complains the most is the one who's the wealthiest and has more than anybody else, but they're not satisfied. They've got to have more. And there are literally, literally thousands, if not millions of families that have been destroyed over the very issue of coveting what someone has left in an inheritance. And that's what Jesus was addressing. And then he went on to tell this story about this man, this this man who really left God out. He left God out. He accumulated all kinds of things. And his greed made him a self-absorbed individual with no thought for anyone but himself, certainly not for God. And by the way, isn't it interesting, in verse 19, notice that again in verse 19 where he says, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It, uh, It seems to me, and I think this is the, to my knowledge, the only place in scripture where retirement is mentioned. You got enough, sit back. And relax, take your, e- your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And it's very interesting that it is presented in a negative light. Now, does this mean God God is opposed to retirement? No, I don't think that's the point at all. But it does mean that the Lord is opposed to a retirement of self-indulgence and laziness. Just sit back and do nothing. That's what this man did. Instead of investing in the kingdom of God, instead of staying active and involved and being generous with others and being rich towards God, he just said, I have enough, I'll sit back, and I'll let the interest accumulate, and I'll be fine. The most serious consequence of this rich man's greediness was that he lived only for himself, with no thoughts of eternity. He must have thought he was going to live forever. It never occurred to him that he should be investing his riches in God's kingdom. He just accumulated more and more things, and thought his life would go on. But it did not last forever, because God took his life, as he does with all of us, and he required his soul. The man never anticipated it. He just died and, and God said, now what do your possessions mean? Who gets them? Who cares? What, is it, what does it mean to you? Which is precisely what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. And we'll look at this more in detail next week. But First Timothy chapter six, this is a uh, very, very piercing passage of scripture. And we will, Lord willing, go further in our study of this, but just for now, just so you understand this, this is this is the issue. This is the issue. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. The Bible deals with, with the heart of contentment. But those who want to get rich, notice it doesn't say those who are rich. Those who want to get rich, who that's their goal, their covetous hearts, yearn for that. They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and and destruction for the love of money, not money itself. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it, there's that covetousness, they've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In essence, what Paul is telling Timothy is this, if you covet, you will ruin your soul. No matter what it is, no matter what you're coveting, you will ruin your soul. This is what happens to those who covet possessions. And this is what happened to the rich fool in our Lord's parable. He lived only for today, took no thought about eternity. And the ironic thing is that those who do live for today and do covet and do want only an abundance of things, they're never satisfied, never satisfied. You can have enough. You realize that that no matter what you want, and when you get it, you want something else. Your heart is never satisfied. Scripture says that, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with uh, with its income. This too is vanity. You see, when you covet material possessions of others, you'll never be satisfied because you'll never have enough. Some of the greediest people are people who are the wealthiest. They just want a little bit more. It never satisfies. It's kind of like drinking a Coca-Cola when you're thirsty. You think one, one drink, one cup, one bottle, one can will satisfy you. But built into that is a desire for more and more. It never satisfies. It's kind of like uh, the old Rolling Stones song, Can't Get No Satisfaction. No matter what you try, you'll never be satisfied. See, the problem is not getting things the problem is a covetous heart. It's a sinful heart that can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ and the riches that come with knowing him. He, folks, he's the only one who satisfies because the longing of your heart can only be met by Christ, only by, by Christ. So we are forbidden to covet someone else's possessions. No matter what they possess, we're forbidden to covet it. You covet it, you've broken the, 10 command, the, the 10th commandment. But there's a second area Of coveting that the tenth commandment identifies. It isn't just our neighbor's possessions that we're forbidden to covet, to covet. It's our neighbor's wife that we're not permitted to covet. Scripture says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. When a man is dissatisfied with his wife, when he no longer finds her desirable, but instead desires someone else's wife, he is guilty of breaking the tenth commandment. And it's this longing in the heart for someone other than his spouse which produces adultery and ultimately the breaking up of marriage. Listen, no one ever falls into adultery. They gradually slide into it and the sliding begins, the downward plunge begins with covetous thoughts. It's your thought life. Inevitably, the sin of coveting is the root force behind the destruction of so many marriages. And so many buy into the false saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. And when a person buys into that, They have covetous thoughts like, if only I I was married to that person, I could be so happy. If only I was married to that spiritual man, I would be treated so much better than my husband treats me. Or I wish my wife looked like his wife, and all that goes into that. See, all of these types of of thoughts fall into the category of coveting, and they're, they're all wicked. They're all wicked and wrong. Not not only because the grass is seldom greener on the other side, but more importantly, because these covetous thoughts for someone else's spouse stem from a heart that isn't satisfied with what God gave you. That's the issue. And it's born out of a false assumption that happiness comes by possessing what someone else has, but that's not where it's at. And let me expand on this. Let me expand on this because some might think, well, I, I don't that's not a big thing for me or someone who's single might think, well, I don't even have a spouse to covet after someone else's spouse. You can still be single and covet after someone else's spouse. But let me expand on this principle. I think the principle is, is bigger than just the spouse. I think the, the issue is coveting after other people because coveting other people isn't limited to a wife or a husband. If you've ever had thoughts like, I wish I had been born into another family, then I'd be a better Christian today, and that's coveting. That's coveting. I wish I had a different dad, different mom, that I wouldn't have these, these struggles that I have. Wouldn't have so many hang-ups if I had a, a normal parent. And why I had to go through what I went through with, with my dad, with my mom. Wish I came from another family. Wish I was raised in a Christian home where they took me to church and, and I learned the Bible. Listen, all of that is coveting. You wish that you had different parents, somebody else's parents, anyone other than yourself, you're guilty of coveting people. See, God, in his own sovereign wisdom, puts you exactly in the right family, the right mom and the right dad that you should have. Makes no mistakes. Why? Because he he uses all of those things. Yes, even their sin and their idiosyncrasies in order to shape you uniquely into the person he wants you to be so that you can minister to other people. You understand those hangups. You understand what others are going through. And it makes you much more sensitive to the hurts and the pains of other people. You know how to minister far better than some others. So we are forbidden to covet the possessions of others. We are forbidden to covet people that others have in their lives. There's a third area of coveting that is mentioned in the 10th commandment. It has to do with longing after the leisure time that others have. This is indicated by the statement, you shall not covet his male servant or his female servant. That has nothing to do with anything sexual at, at all. It's not even the thought here. You see, in biblical times, a person's servants allowed him to live at ease since he had other people to do the work for him. It'd be like a, a wealthy employer today who had so many people work for him that he can, he can go on vacation. He can live a life of ease. Other people are taking care of things. He's hired others to do it. That's, that's the thought here. So to covet His servants referred to being envious of somebody's leisure time, his time off from his labors. If you've ever been jealous of the opportunity some people have to vacation in places that maybe you would like to go but can't go, then that's coveting. Or that some people travel and do things that sound exciting, but you can't, you have to work. That's coveting. Or others are involved in certain recreational activities that you would love to do. And you do love to do it, but you can't. You have to work. And you begrudge them the enjoyment that that they have. Folks, that's all coveting. That's wrong. Well, I wish I had that much time on vacation. Wish I could go here. Wish I could could travel this place. Wish I could, could have buck season tickets. Things like that. All of that comes under this category. There's a fourth area of coveting that the Tenth Commandment prohibits, and it's in the area of wealth and not only wealth, but watch this status, prestige. Notice Exodus 2017 again says, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house, it's his possessions. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife, its people, or his male servant or his female servant." that would be leisure. And notice this: or his ox or donkey, you say, "Well, I'm pretty good there. I' have never coveted anyone's <laughs> ox." Or their donkey. I told someone this morning after the service not to covet my pug. And they said, it comes under the category of an ox and donkey. Not to worry. Well, what what does this command mean? In ancient cultures, the number of animals that a man owned indicated his wealth and his status. That's the principle here. Certainly, we can understand in an agricultural society, the more beasts you own, the more prosperous you are. That's what he's saying. So don't think that, well, I'm not guilty of this because I'm not literally coveting someone's ox. I don't even care about an ox. The issue here is coveting, longing to be wealthy like other people. Not just their possessions, but their wealth and the status that goes with this. The prestige, the rank, the position, the respect they might get. See, where this really hits hard, this particular aspect of this commandment, is that it reveals two sins that are closely related to coveting, and that's the dual sins of envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. To covet the wealth and the status of others is really to be jealous and envious over the way God has blessed someone else. I don't like the way God has blessed someone else. I want that blessing, and eventually I'm going to be bitter at God because He gave them something that I want. See, jealousy is always a byproduct of coveting. And it isn't really limited to coveting the wealth someone possesses. It certainly involves that. But what we so often covet is not simply their wealth, but the prominence, the status that accompanies someone's wealth. And even if it isn't that they're wealthy, even if it isn't wealth involved, we still crave to have the reputation that is admired by other people. That's wrong. That's that's just jealousy. Jesus condemned this, this very attitude that was so prevalent in the scribes and the Pharisees because they coveted positions of religious prominence that would bring them recognition from others. Jesus was direct in Matthew chapter 23. Let me read it to you. Here's what he said about about them. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. They loved to be called doctor. They love to sit in prominent places where everybody knew that, that they were important people. They loved to be greeted. They loved to be respected. They love when they walked down on the street, people knew that, that they were the leaders. That's what Jesus is condemning. That very covetous attitude that says, I love prestige and I will get it no matter what. No matter what, I love for them to use those great titles with me. I love to sit in places where they know that I'm important. I want to be greeted in a respectful manner. That's what Jesus condemned. And this really isn't a problem only for, for those who, who are lost, not, not just for, for the unsaved. We have a problem in that area. Believers have a problem. Scripture tells us that. Remember how the Lord's apostles argued with one another? Who was greatest in the kingdom? of heaven, who would sit on his left hand and who would sit on the more prominent position of his right hand, at his right hand. That's why Jesus had to teach them about servanthood because they didn't want to be a servant. They wanted everybody to say, oh, you must be great. Look, you are sitting next to the king in his kingdom. Let me tell you something that's hardly ever mentioned in Christian circles and it needs to be and that is that we need to deal and address the sin of jealousy amongst God's people in fact many 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 conflicts in churches churches just like ours can go back to the very issue of jealousy james addresses this in james chapter four james chapter four he actually addresses it in chapter three too he says in chapter three verse 14 but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not be arrogant so lie against the truth And then he says in chapter four, speaking about jealousy and conflicts, he says in verse one, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members you lust do not have. So you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. He says in verse three, even when you do ask, you don't receive it because you ask with the wrong, wrong motives.
2: Pastor Steve Kreloff will apply this verse when we get together next time for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the senior pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. If they have blessed you, would you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry financially? You can find details on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Just click the link that says, Support Us. Now today's class was the middle of a three-part message. The entire message is available on cassette or audio CD. To order a copy, call us at 727-239-0306. If greed so permeates us as a society and as individuals, how can we have any hope of avoiding the violation of the Tenth Commandment? Our only hope is in recognizing and accepting the purpose for which God made us and then allowing Him to work through us. Let's consider that purpose on the next Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. If you're concerned about.